I got to a point where, you know, I actually enjoy this. Um, and it was really good. And, and that's when I started, you know, looking for an actual chef job, you know, and then I started working at different restaurants and learning different cuisines. Um, and I got really like interested in it. And I'm like, oh, wow, it's not just about one type of cuisine and, and, and what there is to learn. There's so many techniques to different places. So, yeah. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Traditionally, clubs have been better known for a budget fee than culinary excellence, but they've become a real hub of the community for so many Australians. But things have changed in clubland as operators see value in exceptional food offerings to woo in clientele. What's the balance needed to run a restaurant within a club setting? Jason Chan is the chef and owner of Canton Kitchen. Jason, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Anthony? I'm good. It's good to get you on the show. You're kind of uh, leading the way and carving a new path in sort of club land in Australia. What's it been like? Um, it's a little bit different. Um, I think being in a club and, and being a standalone restaurant, um, I think you've got to cater a little bit differently. Um, I think like clubs got their expectations of uh, what food needs to come out, pricing and, and basically, you know, working together. So... Has it been hard striking that balance? You know, you're, you've got a rich uh, history in some amazing restaurants, which you can get into, but getting that balance of pushing the boundaries, but keeping the, the club and the clientele happy too? Yeah, it's, it's really hard. Um, look, what we used to do um, in restaurants uh, before I was in clubs were totally different. I mean, pushing boundaries, when I first started in clubs, it was always uh, like a fight between customers, you know, because they're not used to this type of food. Um, I think the expectation at clubs, I think they were more in a bit more old school um, and then introducing different types of cuisine and, and uh, like, like you say, pushing boundaries of, of instead of doing a classic sweet and sour pork, you do something different. People are like, oh, is this the same thing that I used to eat like 10 years ago at a club? <laughs> Well, I want to explore what you are doing there and um, the incredible success that you're having with the business model that you've created. But take us back to when you were young. What sort of role did food play in your family growing up? Um, very important. Um, my mum and dad, they used to own restaurants um, and being like born and raised in the kitchen, um, I think there was expectation of, of me uh, following the footsteps of my dad. Um, but, you know, I was young then, never wanted to cook, didn't like cooking at all. Um, you know, the long hours inside the kitchen, it was like, no way, I'm not, not, not doing this at all. But um, I think, look, in, um, I don't know, I think it's just, it's, it's, it's a lot different now, yeah. Well, to take us back to when you were young, what, what sort of food or feasts do you remember that you can share with us that sort of exemplify sort of you growing up? Um, I think seafood, uh, like, you know, a lot of Asian restaurants, they've got a lot of fish tanks. That's what my dad had. And being around that, it was always like, dad, when am I ever going to eat the lobster? Um, you know, knowing it's, it's an expensive uh, dish at an Asian restaurant. It was always like, dad, when am I going to eat the lobster? When am I going to eat the, the crab? Um, but yeah, I think it was all, all seafood. Um, and I think growing up on, you know, sweet and sour pork, Mongolian lamb, even black bean, um, all that, I think, yeah, that's where it all started. Um, knowing what you know now, sort of running restaurants and being in the hospitality sectors, how do you look back at the time of seeing, seeing your parents doing it when you were a kid? Is it, are the worlds a lot different? 
Yeah, it is, 100%. Um, I think back then, you know, oh, oh, compared to now, I think it's I think it's a bit easier now. Back then, it was more like, you know, you own the restaurant. You have to be there for like the seven days, 15, 16 hours, you know, not seeing my dad um, for most of the time. It's, yeah, that's why I never wanted to be a chef. And then when you think about it now, people or chefs in these days are like, oh, you know, I needed, I didn't want to do my... 40 hours or 45 hours a week so yeah it is a lot different it is you you mentioned that you never really wanted to be a chef but um what 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 turned the corner for you what sort of flicked the switch on and made you head down the path of a, of a chef um i think it was more when i was when i started doing it when i was in the kitchen i could it's more like a, it was more stress relief for me. Um, when I walk into a kitchen, um, all I would concentrate on is cooking for the customer. Nothing else would go into my head. Nothing could, could, could um, uh, how do you use the word, could annoy me or anything. It was more focused. It was plain, you know, I'm going to make the best, um, you know, let's say a fried rice to this customer and what am I going to put into it? So it was more about concentration and I think it was about stress relief. Did you work in the kitchens of your parents? And do you have any stories of, of what that was like? Uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Um, you know, that you want to go on record for? <laughs> <laughs> now, every Saturday and Sundays, I, I would I would help my parents out at their restaurants. Um, you know, and yeah, like it's it's hard when, when you see them do the hours and, and me working in there. Um, how do I say it? Like it's. Any stories? Yeah, I used to steal a lot of food to eat uh, while, while I was working. Um, yeah, like, you know, I'd be in a corner, you know, I'd be doing my homework there as well. You know, my dad um, would say, you know, Jason, sit in the corner, don't move. But all your chefs would be like, man, you're so slack. You let your son eat. Let him do something, you know. Yeah, I'd be stealing prawn crackers the whole time trying to eat. You know, that was the best thing. <laughs> What were your first steps into um, a career as a chef in a commercial kitchen, sort of outside the family? Um, uh, I started doing part-time at one of my friend's restaurants. Um, and look, back then, it was everything was about, you know, money. But I think, like I said, I got, I got to a point where, you know, I actually enjoy this. Um, and it was really good. And, and that's when I started, you know, looking for an actual chef job, you know, and then I started working at different restaurants and learning different cuisines. Um, and I got really like interested in it. And I'm like, oh, wow, it's not just about one type of cuisine and, and, and what there is to learn. There's so many techniques to different places. So, yeah. What were some of the, in the early days, what were some of the really important people or venues that you worked at as you started to build your career? Um, I worked at this uh, take uh, restaurant in Neutral Bay, and that was my first ever restaurant that I worked in. Um, it was a Vietnamese Thai. Um, this lady, uh, family-owned restaurant, she she taught me how to use the walks, and I was like, "Wow, you know, this is what my dad used to do." Um, and I was like, "Man, someone's actually teaching me how to use the walks." So I think that's where it all started, working for um, this little Thai restaurant, and going on from there and then obviously slowly learning more techniques and uh, finding other restaurants where I can learn more. And yeah, that's when I started, you know, looking for restaurants and now I started working at other ones. You, you, um, you've worked at some pretty great restaurants. What's What's been the real highlights for you um, that helped um, carve your path? I think being, uh, being the opening team uh, of some of the restaurants and getting a hat, one hat, 
for them. So I think that was that was one of the career highlights. You know, never expected to 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 get a hat. You know, it's it's very prestige, and and to be able to do that, it, it was amazing. It was, it was part of it was one of my dreams. You know, being a chef is is you know all about creating food, but also um, you know making sure you know we we get all these hopefully prestige uh, you know accolades. <laughs> Uh, well, t- tell us about those restaurants. You've you've worked at like Queen Chow and um, Super Normal, and take us into those kitchens. What were they like? Um, Super Normal. That's where I. Um, yeah, Super Normal was great. Um, v- really big restaurant, uh, six hundred packs for dinner. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, get, get, getting pumped every night. But you know, I think it was worth it at the end of the day. Um, you know. Being a being mentored and 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 learning, um, and, and you know being able to, to 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 be part of the opening team to, to get a hat with that amazing, um, you know Queen Chow and more um, with Merivale, you know that they, they taught me a lot, um, how to run a business and you know that that place was a beast as well, um, but like I said, being you know being the head chef there and being part of the team to, to open and get a hat it was amazing. It's yeah, it's everything. Take us into that uh, the kitchen at Queen Chow. It was it was a big move by Mary Vale into into Enmore with the with the renovation of that pub. Tell us about the menu and and what it was like for you. What you created? Um, menu. Look, we, we had a, we, we had you know all the executive chefs and all that. You know, we all sat on board to to I think um, put in all our experiences um, where we where we went overseas to, to bring in all the cuisines. Um, you know, and it was great being able to sit down with them and, and you know, being obviously from Hong Kong and, and my heritage is Cantonese and Queen Chow being a Cantonese restaurant, it was great to, to bring in some old school type of food and modernizing it and being able to serve it in, in Enmore, which we know is, you know, a quite a, a nice area. Uh, was there a dish on the menu that you created there in your time at Queen Chow that sort of epitomised sort of what you were doing? Yeah, I think um, silken tofu. Um, it was actually a cold dish that we that, that we put on the menu. And look, not many people eat cold tofu. And um, to make it tasty and, and all that stuff, we, we went through a lot of um, changes. And I think it's still on the menu now. And I think it's one of probably one of the best sellers still. How did the gig with uh, Canton Kitchen and um, this relationship with the club come about? Um, we opened our first Canton Kitchen in Castle Craig, um, and we were approached by um, the club looking for um, operators to, to come in. Um, and then I thought, you know, why not? It's, you know, we're in a club. It's guaranteed for traffic you know why not explore that and and try and change the way uh, asian food are in clubs so yeah that's where it all started take us back to the original um restaurant um where it sort of spawned from um what was that like and and why did you settle on on that sort of area in the north of sydney look i i wanted to explore i back in my head, I always think, you know, when you're in uh, Castle Craig, a rich area, which I think it is, <laughs> um, you know, it's good, it's good to like try this type of cuisine because knowing Castle Craig near Chatswood, I don't think they had anything similar to that. And I wanted to test the market to see how it how it went with with the food. And obviously, coming from you know uh, bigger restaurants and all that stuff, we we I try to use that to my advantage. But yeah. 
Um, take us take us into Clubland and um, tell us a little bit about the restaurant that you that you have. Uh, Clubland, um, Kensington Kitchen, Bangstown. Um, we've had our struggles. Um, you know, when we first opened there, it was COVID, uh, like the really start of COVID, and we were open for two months. Um, it was amazing because the first two months, um, I was like, wow, you know, this is a club for you. Like, it's guaranteed for traffic and the sales are great. Then COVID kicked in and we shut for six months. And But, you know, there was a lot of support from the club. Um, so, yeah, basically. Tell us a little bit about the, the menu that you have there. Is there a couple of dishes you can tell us about and um, um, that are quite popular on the menu? Oh, and the club, um, I think our, our grilled beetle leaf scallop, that one's very popular. Um, our crispy mustard stock pork belly with apple, chili and mint, one of our signature dishes there. Um, that one, I think we came, I think, second or third in one of those club uh, awards. So that was, yeah, so that was great. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, they, I think that's it. That's basically, those two are probably one of our signatures. Black pepper beef is always our crowd favorite and our roast duck, peking duck pancakes. Um, that's, that's a big seller there. Take us through some of those cooking processes. What, how do you get the best sort of uh, roast peking duck or black pepper steak? Oh, peking duck. I, I might, I might get a lot of hate if I say this, but <laughs> I mean, everyone's got their own techniques. I think our one is just, we, we, we try to use the, the, the traditional technique flavoring. Um, we, we would marinate it for 24 hours. You know, we'll give it a, a nice bath and then we'll maltose it with red vinegar to, to make sure that the the skin is dry and crispy we'll dry it for about another three four days um yeah and then we'll sew the duck up so all the flavoring stays inside the cavities but yeah i think that's that's our way of doing it um there's a lot of other ways and i don't want to offend anybody <laughs> but, but, but you know this is this is the way we were taught especially for my dad being you know obviously a traditional chinese cantonese chef um you know these are some of his his ways of, of making sure that the ducks are, are, are nice and still got that traditional flavor to it as you've been trying to strike that balance between sort of pushing the envelope and and pleasing the punters there. What what sort of reactions have you got? Has there been some good stories of the connections that you've made um, with with the guests and the offering? Oh, definitely. Like I mean, when we first started, we there was a lot of people that didn't like our our food and saying that this is not Chinese food, this is not Cantonese food. You know, and I would tell the customers, look, yes, my menu doesn't say it's Cantonese food, but you know, we're trying to introduce you guys and um, educate that not or Cantonese or Chinese food has to be bad. Um, it doesn't have to be oily. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, your 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 cheap cut of meat. But I think introducing all the different cuts of meat to them, um, you know, pushing the boundaries with their taste buds. I think it, it's sort of it's it's gone a lot better after three years being in the club. A lot of people have accepted us and saying that well, you know. We've never tried this sweet and sour pork before. It's so different to the way that um, we used to have it. Like, you know, you would go to old school Chinese and they would go, oh, the sweet and sour sauce is very runny and red and it's um, made with, you know, vinegar, sugar and stuffed tomato sauce. But, you know, the ones that we make, you know, it's it takes us two, three hours to, 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 to make and it's, yeah, it's, it's just a little bit different. 
the last couple of years have been pretty challenging. And as you mentioned, um, you opened in the throes of COVID. What sort of impact has that upheaval had on you? Do you approach your career and the art of hospitality a bit differently as a result? Um, we have. We, we, we try to um, adapt and, and change the business structure of it. But look, people say, you know, COVID, it's a blessing in disguise. Um, it has changed a lot, but I think it's also educated a lot of people um, in regards to how a restaurant is run, how it's set up. And I, and I think a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of customers do appreciate the food more because they understand that, you know, look what's happened to the industry. And I think they're a bit more polite and a bit more um, uh, to staff as well, I think in that sense. How has the last couple of years uh, changed you and, and this move into clubs compared to the restaurants that you were um, I think stability. Um, the, club, the club gives us more stability. Um, there's a lot more support. Um, and because you're not standing alone on the street, um, it's a guaranteed uh, customer base because the club has its own um, members that come in and out. Um, so yeah, I think it's the stability of, of being in a club now. So like if, if I was ever asked to open a restaurant on outside a club, I think I would think twice, but if I got offers to open inside a club, it would be a definite yes for me now. Wow. You mentioned, uh, the, the memories that you have of seafood when you're younger and the yearning to have the lobster from the tank. Um, does, does seafood feature on, on your menu? Yes, we do. We've got um, four uh, live fish tanks at the back of our restaurant. Yeah, we've got lobster, king crab, mud crab, abalones, you name it, we've got it. Coral chowds, pippies, everything. And and what's the success of that? Because, you know, clubs are considered or have been considered sort of budget meals, but, you know, what we're talking about here is um, anything but. Yeah, we tell them it's affordable eats now. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, you know, like, I mean, we still get a lot of customers um, that, that request for um, live seafood. And look, at the end of the day, live seafood doesn't have to be expensive. Um, you know, everything can be affordable. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's how we introduce it to the customers. Live seafood is extraordinary offering, but what's the challenge for the chef in that environment? Like, how do you... Um keep the product at its optimum and, and what, what's the handling that you have in the kitchen to make sure that the dish is perfect? Um, so we've got one one chef in the kitchen that all he does is the live seafood. So that's his specialty. Yeah, we do. Um, he, he's, he looks after the fish tanks um, and we, we get our fish tanks cleaned and serviced like every two weeks. So obviously, you know, so he maintains the integrity of the, of the seafood. Um, yeah, and it's just usually one guy that does it all. So, you know, he knows what's best and how to actually, you know, like clean and cut the seafood. So, yeah. Um, we're doing amazing things in Clubland. What, what do you love about what you do? Um, I think feeding the customers and getting good feedback. Um, I think once uh, when we first opened at the club and, you know, we had a lot of, uh, I should say, bad reviews and people saying that, you know, this is not, the food that they they came me for, but after I think a couple of months into it, you know, we 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 continued doing what we were doing. Um, this little kid left a uh, a note on the table, and I still got it on my phone. I took a photo of it, and uh, she actually put on the note that this is the best food she's ever had, and she said, "Keep up with the good work." Yeah, so it was pretty amazing, and I think um, from that point, I was like, you know what. 
it's worth it. Like everything is worth it, what you do. Um, yeah. That's a beautiful story, Jason. It's been an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear a part of your story. Um, good luck in the next uh, next year and um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you for having me today. Thank you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.